Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast powered by The Source Weekly. I am Aaron Schweitzer, the publisher of The Source and host of this podcast. I am joined by Laurel Bronze, our reporter. Uh, we are supported by Ben Pet Express, your best local source for healthy products for pets since 1993. You can order online, of course, at benpetexpress.com for free deliveries, or they also have daily curbside pickup from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, today, we are talking to Keith Wachowski. Keith is the city manager of Redmond, Oregon. He graduated from the University of Denver, uh, been the city manager in Redmond since 2013, has lived in Oregon since basically 1978, and uh, also has a dog and a cat. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, hey, I'd like to just start out by kind of asking you, how does someone in your position, how do you distract yourself rather than focusing on the things that you're currently working on? Why don't we start with something else? Like, I mean, it, being city manager has got to be, you know, every moment right now, but what do you do to distract? <laughs> what do I do to distract myself? Uh, I try to get out and breathe fresh air now and then, but it's one of these, like with the COVID, it's kind of like crisis mode constantly and I've worked in city halls in Portland for mayors during floods and during all sorts of stuff and it's kind of like that but it's just full-on every day every night week after week yeah that's kind of what I was suspecting I was hope they're hoping that you had some glimmer of a break besides walking we have a cat so that's got to give supposed to lower stress a little bit doesn't it yeah, yeah, exactly. It purrs. My dog runs away, so I have to go find it in the neighbor's pasture, stuff like that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, well, one of the things that I'm curious about, it, and, and, you know, you're obviously having conversations with all manner of society right now, but as this COVID crisis has deepened, how do you think the playing field is going to um, level for people economically. I mean, one thing that I've noticed that seems to be shaking out is we're talking a lot about targeted populations or populations that are getting hit harder and people are accessing grant funds. But as a city manager for Redmond, um, what's your role in that? And, and do you have a role? I mean, in terms of having the you know, the playing field kind of even out, I mean, what we're trying to do is just in whatever way we can reduce the burden for our constituents that are paying water bills and paying fees and just trying to get by. You know, they went from having jobs one day and, and perfectly um, satisfactory jobs with, with decent wages and like suddenly nothing. And they're getting unemployment. And But there's all these different non-financial elements, right? And everyone's talking lately about there's the mental wellness and the ability of, you know, you can only take isolation for so long. And if you're an introvert maybe it's easier than if you're an extrovert and just trying to help people and reach out to them and try and connect with them um, we've got a small team that's focused on helping businesses and they got on the phones you know the the week this all began to break apart in late march just to let the business owners know that the city was there for them and to try and help put them in touch with resources to give them a, a ray of hope because hope is kind of what you have to point to right now do you feel a little bit grateful in this situation that you're in a smaller city? I mean, do you feel like you've got a little better opportunity to put your hands around this situation being in Redmond? 
Yeah, I still have, um, you know, kind of growing up in politics in Portland, I still have a lot of connections there with people that work in the bureaus and work in the city, um, in City Hall. And just like anything else, when you're in a smaller community, you can, it's easier to make a difference. And it's easier to kind of diagnose and dissect issues and then try and solve them. So, yeah, obviously, the scale of the number of businesses, we have 1,800 business licenses in Redmond. And um, it's a lot easier to give the personal touch and try and solve one, you know, issues with one downtown core versus 17 commercial neighborhood business districts. Yeah, I, I listened to your um, conversation with uh, Eric King and Sally and George and Ducat, um on the 30th. And one thing that uh, became clear to me when that, as you guys were, were chatting is for being as for being small for Central Oregon and being Redmond, you're also an extremely complex um, economy because you've got the the airport. I forgot that that airport is your budget, and um, you've also got the fairgrounds, which didn't come up in that um, in that conversation. But I know that's an that's a we, Ben doesn't have that kind of um, those kind of responsibilities. Yeah, it's. Yeah, uh, just one clarification so that the county owns the fairgrounds. It's in the city limits. That's, right. But yeah, I mean, the airport, that's really complex, right? I mean, they went from 1,500 people coming through there each day to 100 people coming through there each day. And it's our big, biggest you know, business line, if you were to call it that. And looking how wrecked that has been um, from all of this, we're very fortunate to get the $9 million through the federal airport relief package, which was like a $10 billion um, overall package across the country. So that's going to help out significantly. But to your point, even though Redmond's small, you know, 30,000 people, the complexities of the city um, in some ways equal that of Bend. In other ways, it doesn't equal it at all. But all the problems, all of the the kind of combination lock of how do you solve different issues exists. You, you know, the other thing that strikes me about the airport and the significance of that, that, that came to me while I was listening to you guys is, you know, there's always been that discussion, um, pro tourism, con tourism. You can hear those rumblings starting to come out a little bit more of, of people who talk about the us and the them. We, we're safe here. We don't want them. I think one of the reporters even was, like those people in Portland, Seattle, California, God forbid. And um, do you, what do you, do you see that? I mean, how do you, in your discussions, how is that playing out um, as far as reopening? Yeah, I, I observe it. I don't experience it firsthand in Redmond, but it's, it's interesting. The, it's interesting to me if you, if you look at like the isolationism and how it begins to play out and how, Last time I checked, most people moved here at some point in time, and right and and um, being that I you mentioned you know I've been in Oregon for a long long time, that uh, you know Central Oregon has grown significantly. So a lot of the people that maybe don't want anyone else to can't come here maybe came here five years ago, ten years ago, twelve years ago, and I think that like we're all human beings whether we're in this this region, the state, the country, the world, and um, the us and the them. I hear a lot of, most people talk about we're in it together and how do we solve it together. But it is, 
interesting how, and it's not just Central Oregon, it's, a, it's across the whole country, the will a, you know, someone from the outside come in and infect us. And it's just like one of those downward spirals you see in, uh, in a movie. Yeah, I mean, Damon, uh, we spoke to Damon Runberg, the economist on the last podcast, and it's, you know, almost 19% of the economy here is tourism based. And I've, I thought that was kind of low, um, as, especially when you think about the impacts of that. And if you add the people who have second homes here or people who are retired here, um, I mean, that's just a, a really big number when we're talking about who we are. And um, I, I just heard it again on that, on that, in that conversation. And I thought, um, you know, how, how micro is this going to get? Are we going to start, you know, thinking about, well, Redmond doesn't have as many cases as Bend. So can Redmond, I mean, Redmond's in the county, but, and maybe that's too specific an organization, but you're looking at some communities that aren't that far away from us geographically, but is that them? And are people gonna start pointing at Bend and saying, hey, those guys can't be coming up to Madras, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, if you're not careful, right, it, it suddenly becomes, you draw a series of line in the sand and then you get holier than thou because yeah, you have, you know, they just released the cases by zip code today. And if you're below 10, it's just labeled as one to nine. And so the Redmond zip code that includes Eagle Crest is one to nine. And does that suddenly mean that if you come in from Bend, that uh, like we're going to stop you at the border of, you know, Deschutes Junction? I don't think so. <laughs> well, I'm going to scooch around through Hemholtz and just kind of like get in the back way. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of undercover llamas and alpacas out there that they'll, they'll stop you. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, that does bring me to the other aspect I find fascinating about this. And I know you get asked a lot about it and it especially has come up because you've got the protests there as um, enforcement. You know, I, I've, you're starting to hear these these certain cases pop up. There was a woman in Salem who's protesting by by cutting people's hair, and um, and certainly you've had you've had your group uh, in Redmond. What's your? I know you're. Um, well, let let you talk about how do you how do you face enforcement on these kind of issues? Well, it's always about um, you want to make sure people are informed and aware of the order and what to do and not do, and then you really have to look at it as um, you, you don't really, if it's a peaceful gathering, regardless of if they're um, standing within six feet or outside of six feet apart, you never want to react and escalate, right? And in anything in life, but particularly with those. And so we've been monitoring, our police have, um, are well aware of them. Um, I've been down there and watching everyone and uh, they've just been peacefully gathering. We understand that as this, goes on this cuts along such strong political lines such strong philosophical lines constitutionalist lines and um no one person is better than the other because they have a very strong bent on what freedoms they feel they should be able to exert or not exert and as long as people gather peacefully then um you know we'll just continue to watch it i was listening this morning to um you know, the issue down in Orange County with Gavin Newsom and the, the surfers at the beach. And they're saying, like, we're going to surf. 
And if you want to have a fist fight over it, go for it. But we're going to go to the beach. And, uh, and it's like, you just, you, you, you have to, again, you're getting back to like, people are stretched thin. Even the most patient, stoic, Zen person is beginning to get stretched and their patience is beginning to get stretched. And there's no reason to like really touch that nerve and cause something to escalate. But I mean, the question I just have is if these, if the restrictions or the quarantine rolls out slowly, if, if the, if the, if it is, if the government is ineffective in getting the testing kits and, and the supplies that are needed to reach um, the governor's guidelines, and you do start having the haves and the have-nots, which are basically being split by who's willing to protest and who's not with regard to retail, um, do you start getting to a point where you do need to, to enforce? I mean, at what point do you step in and become the playground master? Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically what would happen is our, if, if something was occurring that was not supposed to be occurring, um, a business was open that wasn't supposed to be open, our officers would go, they would have a discussion with them, they would uh, draft a report that would go both to the district attorney as well as to um, OSHA at the state level. And then OSHA would take a look at it, determine whether um, there's any fines, and then it would shift over to the regulatory part of the state that would determine whether there should be any licenses that should be revoked or suspended. So our role really is essentially reporting. I mean, we could issue a fine, right. um, of, and, uh, but at this point, we would take the report and, and push it on up to other jurisdictions. Right. I thought it was, I thought it was a little funny when uh, in that conversation, they were asked about big boxes versus small businesses. And, um, and I think George got corrected pretty quickly on the like big boxes are open because they're big and can separate. But um, the but I thought the point was valid because I have been in some big boxes. I mean, Target comes to mind, and um, you know, there's there's people people are retail shopping. It's not essential services. I thought you know they're open because they have groceries. You know, in some part of their store, it's a small part. Um, but is that fair? I mean, do you want to speak to that? Well, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I'd like to speak to it in the same way I'd like to speak to whether, you know, Aaron Rodgers should be able to like get a pass off when somebody's rushing at him at 20 <laughs> miles an hour. But fortunately the, you know, the, the governor and the state sets the rules on this. Right. And we just like with reopening, um, sure. We're at the table having the conversation, but the reopening, what opens, when, how is not up to us in any way, yeah. and either is the restrictions. Yeah, I, it's, it's, I, I, mean, I appreciate the question, right? But it's just yeah, not. I just been, it's just one of those things we've talked about in our editorial meetings. I don't know how you get your head around it, but you know, you have small retailers downtown that are completely shuttered, and then you have you know people who are having the time of their life on their on their shopping experience for the moment at the big box store and and you know the the problem with those kind of things i think is that habits are forming you know you you start habit forming You're like oh i didn't know that this was available here and um and i think that's one of the things about this virus that i mean it's fascinating in some ways like the way you get pushed into stuff so mm -hmm.
And I do wish Aaron Rodgers would get that ball off, but <laughs> just a quicker release. That's all it takes, right? Don't if I was there, why is he throwing it out of bounds? Yeah, I would hit that wide open guy 35 yards down the field. Of course, I could have done it. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things I was struck by when what the Eric King has said is that he is planning for the worst case scenario. Do you follow that same kind of um, scenario in your own budgeting? Yeah, we're budgeting really conservatively, um, so we're keeping a close eye on, um, you know, the hotel motel tax, which is down a lot. With the property taxes, when we were trying to figure out the, you know, essentially it's like the percentage of people are going to pay, we went back and looked at the lowest percentage occurred in the recession in 2008. And so we're trying to be cautious. And um, when we've always been that way, that's actually what makes the Rebin City Council um, so successful and and the folks that have come before us so successful in budgeting yeah. is being really fiscally conservative. And you had mentioned the number, I think it was half million lost by the end of this year, 1.1 to 1.2 the next year. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. It, how did people who live in Redmond um, get their head around a number like that? I mean, what, is that, what does that actually mean when you, does it mean, I mean, if, if I'm in the red at the end of the, uh, end of the year, you know, we're, we're not going forward. So you don't have that option. Yeah, I mean, for us, then I, I'm gonna try and keep it at, a, at a eighth grade level here. Um, PERS was offering these side accounts, basically allowing cities to take a long-term play by buying down their liability by investing in these per side funds where you'd spend less money over a 20 year time period. We're gonna put, we're looking at putting a few million into that and we would have done that in June. So by not having the money, we're in this advantageous position of not making basically an investment that we would have made. The services, are not necessarily going to be cut back. It's not like we have 1.7 million we were going to spend on services and we're not now. That was going to be kind of in the financial portfolio. And going into that, we're actually looking at um, having very limited expansion of staff anyway this year. So fortunately, it's not like the organization was um, going to be adding FTE, reflective of population growth. Um, so it just happened to be if there was every year that this was going to happen, um, this is not the worst time to do it. And we're continuing to see development activity occur. It, yeah. It's, you know, which is great, which is really good news. Yeah. Do you, um, at what point does, do services start getting affected? At what point do you do, does public safety, things like that? I mean, I think those are the things that people are most concerned about when they, when they hear those numbers. And it's not something that, uh, and it's understandable, it's not brought up, um, but eventually it's gotta be brought up. At what point do some of these cities start going, hey, it's police and fire? Yeah, we'd have to see, I mean, we have basically, I'm butchering terms for the sake of simplicity, you know, like in our savings account, you know, we have five, $6 million that we won't go below, you know, in reserves. And so it would have to get um, really bare bones and have just like a meteor hit us for us to have to start cutting public safety. Um, we could add a few officers this year. We're going to hold off on that and just kind of see how things play out. But we're comfortable with um, the number of officers we have, which is in the high 40s. 
and the officers per thousand, and we're able to continue to provide the services we need to provide. With the fire district, they're, they split off in 2011 and they're a separate taxing district, and they actually have a, um, an operating levy on the May ballot where it's very important that that passes um, so they can continue to, to provide the same services and more services than they're providing today. One of the things that I've heard you talk about is um, jockeying for funds, for state funds, for federal funds. In, a, in an environment like this, how collegial is it and how, how much do people start getting, that, getting the sharp objects out? I mean, it's, it's got to start getting pretty interesting. Well, I did. A, I was in the playground last week and I took Eric King's ball and, and <laughs> left him there crying in the dirt. The, uh, no, I mean, the, 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 the wonderful thing, and I've talked to my staff about this a bunch and the mayor, is we've always worked well, particularly with Bend, and now we literally are working together in the most meta fashion, whether it's you know drafting talking points for each other's mayors on messaging. Um, he's been playing the lead and helping think strategically about how to make sure that the federal and state dollars come directly to cities rather than passing through the state. So I'm able to play off of his strengths in terms of his um, skill sets, which are uh, deep and broad, and then he can kind of play off of mine, and we're working really, really well together. So the region is being extremely well served. And it also gets back to the last thing, um, staffing capacity. They just have a greater amount of staff in certain areas, whether it's uh, PR or communications, and we can draw on that. And then I can help him in a different way by bringing forward other staff that can assist with the work product that he might need. So everybody is working really well. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. Great. Um, one of the things that's curious about your, um, your city is you own a golf course. And um, I'm just wondering how does, how, how much of your time is spent managing a golf course? <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's always been a curious thing to me. People are like, yeah, that's owned by the city. I'm like, it's cool. Yeah, it's um, our uh, chief financial officer, Jason Neff, kind of oversees the – so we've got a a manager of it. This guy, Rob Malone, who came out. He was managing Aspen Lakes up until like December, January of this year. And he's got a ton of experience and is really good. Corsco – he works for Corsco, which is the management firm. So they have a five-year management contract. So our involvement is just making sure we work with them on the finances and um, seeing how they're doing and performance and whether there might be some general fund that's needed. We're in the process of looking at uh, an event pavilion so we could expand opportunities for people to have large-scale events like weddings and things like that out there. Sure. Um, that's on hold right now, obviously. But um, it's and, – and golf. Golf has been a – what's the right word, an allowed activity through all of this. Mm-hmm. And as long as you socially distance, and he was telling me the cups, like the ball doesn't drop into the cup, it's elevated. So it just taps off of it. And um, so nobody so, touches the edge of the cup. Yeah. Nobody touches like, so you just whack it and you hit the flag and it's good. You know, in a real life, it might've gone off the other side of the green, right. but um, golf is, is staying really steady. And uh, they've been creative in terms of being able to do takeout for food and beverages. And um, they have not been walloped like certainly other sports. Oh, yeah, or events or things like yeah. that. I mean, it's still an act. It's nice that you got some kind of outdoor activity available. You know, I'm not a golfer. I wish I was. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, 
if I got five hours to spend outside, it's not going to be doing that. <laughs> right. Um, well, we're nearing the end. Is there anything you, that we haven't asked you that you want to speak to that? Um, um, yeah. You know, I think that it's right uh, right now. And, you know, when this airs, it will be right in the midst of all of the discussions and tension, excitement, curiosity about when are we going to reopen and how are we going to reopen? And as restrictions loosen, what is going to happen? Right. And again, that's beyond our control. But, you know, as people continue to look at the data from the health officials to the governor's office to others, um, I think the next 30 days are going to be really telling on whether or not this invisible virus um, has plans for us or not. And, uh, and what happens when some people begin to flow, you know, into the region to share it just as we share it with them. Yeah, I like the point. I think Eric made it that, that constitutionally you got to allow them, you know, even if you are sequestered. So it's a good point. Laurel, did you have any questions before we? Um, I just had a quick one. Um, I've been hearing, it seems like kind of universally in the news, just a lot more about city managers lately since the crisis hit. And I was wondering if you could just speak to um, you know, by declaring a state of emergency, like how that changes your job and what you're suddenly responsible for. Yeah, I tell you, since March, what was it, 13th, it's as if I started doing a completely different job. Um, and it, so it has been all about with the state of emergency, right? How do we, how do we protect our employees? Make sure um, they're out of harm's way. How do we protect the community? How do we help the community? So it is in terms of what I was doing before this, all this stuff broke to now, I'm maybe doing 10% of what I did in January and February in terms of what I'm doing now. And uh, it has changed completely. But it still remains an extremely exciting job. I mean, being a city manager is, it's extremely hard, but it's one of the most fun things and, and I just love it. Cool, thanks. Following up on what Laurel said, I mean, clearly, uh, you and Eric are both doing a very competent job and um, simply elevated, you know, elevated your exposure. And, and certainly I think people are looking probably more, probably adding more of a burden as they're like, you know, Keith, what's going to happen now? What's happening tomorrow? Or if, if I was Merlin, right, I could live backwards. But, you know, to one more point, the, I told my staff like a month ago or a couple months ago, because I lived through stuff when I was working for Vera Katz in Portland that, I will never forget. And I told them that this event will shape their leadership skills and shape their lives and make them even, it'll have a profound impact on their leadership and what they do in the future. And they'll never forget it. And they're gonna benefit from everything they're going through right now and be a better leader for it. Yeah, I've, I, I've been expressing the same thing to our staff and saying, you know, I mean, all of everybody's getting a real good look at what's important in their lives and what they want to do with their lives and their time and do they how how well do they want to do it versus doing well at other things so um it's a good time for reflection and uh, yeah. god knows we have enough of it so <laughs> better take advantage of it <laughs> <laughs> well keith thanks for your time i appreciate you uh pulling away from everything you've been doing and and uh giving our listeners and and readers a, a taste of what you're going through yeah, thanks for doing the podcast. These are great. So appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Keith. Take care. All right.